morning, Brad. Love Talk Radio. America. Good morning. How are you? America, how are you this morning? It's been a couple of weeks since we've been on because, uh, you know, different things. Uh, I'd like to welcome back Ife. How are you doing, Ife? Ife, how are you? Yes, greetings. I'm good. Oh, uh, you can tell you. Yeah. Yes, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like to say uh, one thing. I miss the show. I like this show. It's like embedded in my soul. And we had two special guests on this morning. And I'm about to uh, bring them on in a couple of minutes. But I just want to say a couple of things. You, you, you always know I want to lead off the show with something on my mind. Matter of fact, tomorrow or Thursday, look out for the new weekly written commentary called The Buck Stops Here. Uh, I will be writing very various essays on different issues, what have you. But as everything is gonna be social and political and um just look out for it. It's gonna be on Black Urban America. And Black Urban America is brought by uh uh Queen Mother for Real Media. And uh and this month we have a lot of guests uh uh, uh from different fields, different uh, professions. And you know we focus on the black in a city. The, we all always know the issues, what's the problem, but we need to focus on the solutions and the outcome. And one of the things that's been bothering me for the last couple of weeks is the black-on-black crime. Now, the community becomes outraged where a white cop kills a young black person or a black person. From Staten Island to 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 uh, Louisiana to uh, Missouri to California, but how come we don't have the same outrage and the same outcry when we shooting down each other with no regards for life? That they got this organization, Black Lives Black Lives Matter. Do we really feel that way? That Black Lives Matter. Are we so easy to shoot each other down? Do we really feel that black lives matter when we want to settle a, a dispute with a gun? I've seen kids get shot. I've seen kids going to ambulance to the medical staff getting shot. Don't you know, last summer, last summer, like 25 kids under 18 were shot in my town. 25 from the month of June to September. 25, That's, that are alarming statistics. We have, to, we have to look within ourselves before we can ask the world to help us. First, we've got to deal with black-on-black black unity before we can deal with anybody else. Just let that resonate in your soul for a minute, for a while. But I will be writing in detail, and that's what I'm going to feature on this week, 
the buck stops here. Well, this is Black Urban America. Our guest, all the way from California, David Watts, who is a motivational speaker and body language specialist, and Angela Asante, uh, who is a community activist. Good morning, uh, people. How are you? I know it's early where you are. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I'd like to thank you for coming on my show. And uh, I know we did regular communication for the past month. But, um, Brother Watts, could you go in detail about what you do? Uh, well, my skill set um, is basically body language, which another name for it is nonverbal communication. And 90% of what we say is nonverbal. And even though we would probably think that most of our communication is verbal, it uh, tends to be the opposite. So what I do is I actually, my background is in psychology. And when I got into this field, a lot of my uh, the job offers were either risk management or helping law enforcement. And the problem was it was our young children, our black children, who tended to be at the receiving end of the skill set that I had. Uh-huh. So I decided to actually go in and kind of change the dynamic. And my wife and I actually put together an organization to teach our black young men and women on how the game is played so they would know how to deal with law enforcement and those in a corporate structure and understand mm-hmm. that when they first come in, they're being assessed. If you know how the game is played, you'll know how to play to win. So okay. we kind of do it from the other angle now. Well, you say change the dynamics. Well, you say change the dynamics. How can we change the dynamics in our black cities, such as Brooklyn, uh, uh, Newark, uh, Atlanta, um, Chicago, South Side Chicago, uh, Compton? How can we change the um, the dynamics in the uh, in those communities? Well, I was I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I came to California when I was 14. And one of the things that I remember doing a lot of times is we would have block parties. And one of the things that we did was you knew your neighbors. When I came to California, I don't think I really knew. I mean, we moved to Oakland, California, and I knew my neighbors there. It's a pretty homogeneous community. But uh, when I got into the outlying areas, my mother's a registered nurse. I didn't really know my neighbors. You know, she went to work. I stayed in the house. I went to school, and that was it. But when I was mm-hmm. raised in, in New York, we had block parties I knew, and it was, back then, it was really community policing. So when you saw the police, it wasn't, oh, there's the cops. That was, that was Officer Johnson. And he didn't look at me right. as there's a potential suspect. That was that was his buyer's son. That was David. So if you saw me doing something, David, what's, what are you doing? And right. once again, I think we've always said, and we I hear it at nauseum, you know, if I mouthed off or I disrespected <laughs> a neighbor, I got it from yeah. the neighbor. I got it from the other neighbor, and then I got it from my mother when I got home. So everybody took an active, mm-hmm. yes, everybody took an active interest in making sure mm-hmm. that the child understood and was respectful. Nowadays, right. somebody looks weird to somebody's son, and it's a problem. Ms. Asante. Ms. Asante. Ms. Asante. Is she still there? Did we lose her? I think we may have lost her. I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm here. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, you stepped away from the phone for a minute, huh? Can you no, explain? I had it on uh, mute. Huh? I had Can the you... phone on mute. I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Can you explain your your organization and what 
your organization uh, too? Okay. Well, the name of our community is New African Community. We are a melanated people from all uh-huh. across the world who have realized that we have to do something different. We cannot look at the people who has oppressed us to make us whole. So we are collectively joining to build communities. We're starting with um, South Carolina as our first home base. Basically, well, because South Carolina is in one of the new African districts, which are Yes, the New African District. And what that is, that's the district of high concentration of black people before before slavery, during slavery, and now after slavery. So in order for for us to build each other, we have to go where we are so that we can actually reach out to those who need us. And those states are Louisiana, Alabama, Mm -hmm. Georgia, South Carolina, and Mississippi. So we're going to build in all five of those, but we will also help people in other locations to do the exact same thing that we are doing now through our um, process. Uh, Basically, we're going to teach to do everything that each individual knows how to do. They don't have to go to school to learn how to become a farmer because we're going to teach them that. They don't have to learn. They don't have to go to school to learn how to become debt free because we're going to teach them that. Everything from the beginning of formation all the way to the end, we're going to teach all the different skills that we have. Uh, our main goal is to become a self-sufficient community throughout the U.S. and abroad. Okay. And that sounds basically, oh, that sounds oh, that's our very positive, man. I wish you get the northern cities up in there. I wish you get the northern cities in your um in your network. You said uh, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, and South Seven cities where there were yeah, three. all the five southern. Yeah, except for, except for Florida. Florida is not included in that. So from Louisiana over to South um, South Carolina. Okay, Brother uh, Rock. You yes. said that. Uh, you said that we have to go back to some of the uh, living skills that we have in the past. How can we uh, motivate motivate people? Uh, our people, especially today, with this new technology and this individualism and what have you, and also the lack of uh, uh, consciousness that I observe among uh, various uh, folks in our community. How can we uh, 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 motivate uh, our people to go back to where we were successful at one time. I'm not saying we're not successful now, but it seems like we have more unification 40 years ago than we have now. So you're saying how can we motivate our people to return to that mindset of being successful? 
a peace that, was that the question? Having unity, having a consciousness, <clears throat> you know, which was and, talking about community policing, one looking out for each other, the neighbors, and what have you. And I think that exactly. And so what um, Sister Angela is saying, I think, is really answering the question because the fact the new new Africa basically is taking a the mindset and the approach that we're never going to really get back to understanding how successful we can be until we are among our own people. A lot of times, you know, we come and we want to integrate and we want to say, okay, we're going to be with all peoples. But the problem is we don't find our true purpose and our true knowledge of who we are and who we can be and who we have been since the beginning of time until we are among our own people. And so that's why I was so gravitated to this, this organization and to what they what they have they're doing because they're doing exactly that, putting together a co-op of us, of our people, then building from there. I mean, eventually I would think we like to become as large as a city and have what we had back, you know, during or even more back during the Tulsa, Oklahoma era we had black banks, black hospitals, teachers, and everything. And I'm not saying that we're being anti any other race, but the fact is we're being pro us. Yeah, that sounds like garbage. And we have to learn to be educated and be educated about us. We can build the infrastructure because what we're doing right now is not. We're really divisive, you know, yeah. and that's where the system is set up. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about trying to build black nationalism again. But when you said that, you know, we talk about black economics, black uh, economic independence by having our own banks, our own hospitals, our own real estate, and what have you, on so forth. That, is that a little bit of black nationalism, Brother Watts? Yes, well, you know, the, the thing is, that unfortunately, a lot of times when you say black nationalism, black pride, people tend to think of it as being rebellious, being militant, when all we're doing is being positive about who we are and who we've always been. Right. You know, but the problem is we get out and we are so much segregated, and it is so much, you know, uh, years ago, Public Enemy had a song that said it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. You know, and a lot of people, oh, they sang and they laughed. It all was a good song. It was a good beat. But they didn't realize the fact that when you really look at it, it is a system of disempowerment toward us. You know, and there's so much more information that when you really study it, it's there. And, you know, they always say you want to keep something from a black person, just put it in a book. Because we tend not to read books. We tend to look at the media and digest what we're fed. And that we're fed right. is that we can do this. We're not empowered to do this. We're not capable, you know. And it's when you look at it, just under the surface, it's a totally different dynamic, you know. Right. I think we don't start to love each other. And really, like you said, stop, stop arguing with each other. It starts there. But like I said, once again, it starts with a form of community. If we come together as one person, I know my neighbor, it's harder for me to turn my back and to think of that person as somebody I'm against. Because now I have a vested interest in what this person has as well. Yes. Uh, Mr. Asante. Mr. Asante. Mr. Asante. Can she hear me, uh, Ife? Mr. Asante. Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Mr. Asante, uh, you say African community, right? 
to Africa yeah. community. When you say that, uh, how about those about people they don't believe that they're African? Like well, I know, I know my ancestors go back to the ancestors of Africa. I know that. If they know that, brother Wise know that. You know that. How, how about the, uh, those of us that don't have that consciousness? In fact, uh, let me tell you a story, uh, a little brief uh, two-second story. Uh, uh, one of my coaches, I said, like, you know, we got to start calling these uh, our athletes, African-American athletes or what have you. He said, I'm not from Africa. I'm not from Africa. I'm black. Yeah. I thought, what would you say to a person like that that who doesn't identify themselves as a home motherland? Well, that's fine. What we have to realize is that, first of all, we, are, we as a people, we don't know who we are. We have been brainwashed to think that we are less than what we initially are, was, and right. is. So that being said, just because that sister has the weave in her hair because she doesn't realize that her crown and glory is on top of her head, that doesn't mean we're pushing her away. Matter of fact, it's those people that we actually want to embrace. We need to re-educate. We need to teach them who they are and why they are. Once we inform them and take that that European culture away and show them why we have been lied to all these years, why we have been oppressed for all these years, they will begin to love themselves. They don't realize that they don't love themselves. They don't realize that they are the gods and goddesses that they are because we were not taught that. I was not taught that. You know, there's a few, a limited few of us whom actually were raised and reared in the home to know their African culture. But those are very few. Those are very few. So we as a person or a people, a community that want to and remember what it was, as Brother David said, to be outside and you knew all of your neighbors and you knew all of your neighbors was going to make sure that you did right whether your parent was around or not. That's what we want to bring back. We were our own bank. We didn't have banks per se, but I can remember myself, my grandfather, uh, sitting on sitting on the bench by his grocery store, and one of the guys in the neighborhood would come and say, Mr. Buster, I need a loan until Friday. Right. My grandfather, my grandfather would, with his humble and blunt self, he would run back. He never asked him what he needed that loan for. He asked him how much he needed. My grandfather didn't sign any documents with him. My grandfather knew that that man was going to bring him his money back. Just as my grandfather pulled out one of his pockets that held his money, he gave the man whatever it was that he asked. On the same day that that man said that he was going to return that money back to him, that's what the man did. My grandfather didn't have to look for him. He didn't have to hunt him down. So 
we have to bring that back because we have so many people that are in the mindset that it's about me, 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 me. And if I can get over, then that's what I'm going to do. Well, we in New Africans, we are teaching and we're changing that mindset. It's not about you. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what we can do together. It's about what we are going to do together. It's about us raising up and creating what we once had, what was stolen from us, what we didn't realize that we did not need to integrate with them. They needed to integrate with us. So we're going to take each and every person who's going to want to be dedicated to learning who they are and to creating a work for themselves and their family. We're teaching how to become financially dependent, independent collectively as well as individually for each family member because we're not we're not just participants, we're a family. Each family member of New Africans, they will be able to leave a sixth generation legacy because our main focus is one to become debt free and financially independent. We're going to teach them every skill that they need to know in order to do that. So, um, it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying, Ms. Asante. The reason why we need this now is because that we are still in slavery. We may not have the change, the change that we had uh, a couple hundred years ago, but psychologically and mentally, we are still in slavery. Uh, what I call the psychological change to slavery, and and basically, I guess we're still a captive people. Uh, Mr. Brother Wise, how you feel about yes. that? You being a, psycho, a psychology major, and I quote one of the, uh, 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 a psychologist, Dr. Naeem Alpha, who said that we're still in slavery, psychological change to slavery. What do you say to that? I think, of course, what Sister Angela said is 100%. It's hundred percent true, and unfortunately, you know, we always joke, and I use it with my my children and my other relatives who I say are not conscious of their history. And I mean, I've got four children, and I, you know, I debate back and forth with my daughters who don't don't understand it, you know. And I think a lot of times, and we know, not I say think, but the media and even the um, the educational system is geared to teach one sort of ideal or manifesto. And, you know, there was um, a movie, The Matrix, with Lawrence Fisherman a few years ago, and there's a scene where he goes, you know, what pill do you want to take, the blue or the red? Do you really want to know how deep this goes? And I think that it's apropos to actually what our situation is now. A lot of people don't want to know exactly what they've been denied and what the truth is, because sometimes it's so much easier to live in ignorance. If you don't know, then you're not responsible for doing better. You can say, well, this is what I was taught. This is the way it has to be. But when you're taught something different, now you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. You have to tell your children that you have a right and a responsibility to say, I need to do better because I'm not the person they said I was. You know, and so because of that, people are like, I'd just rather, you know, stay in ignorance and just do what I've always done. I'll work here, I'll die, and that'll just be my lot versus I can do something and build my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren up, because that takes work. 
It's a lot of work. Uh, Ms. Asante, how can we penetrate that uh, ignorance? I mean, you're, you're teaching all these skills to these folks, but how can we motivate the average brother and sister to change this mindset to become African instead of um, have the European mindset? But sometimes uh, there are a lot of barriers. They don't want to hear it. They're, matter of fact, I, I a professional. My professor tell me I want to hear that black stuff right now. How can we get through that 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 penetrate that 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 state of ignorance? Well, we I mean, have to. You, you, you have a you have a format, but how can you penetrate that thick wall? That thick wall, lack of consciousness. Well, Brother Kenneth, the first thing that we have to realize, and I say it all the time, and uh, people get upset because I say this, but we're not going to be able to save everybody. Everybody is not going to be saved. Everyone is not going to listen or receive the information that we have. However, it is our duty it is our responsibility as a people to keep teaching, to keep preaching, to make sure that we're doing our part. Because even though they may say they don't want to hear that, you don't have to do it to where as it's offensive. But if you just educate and just spread, spread it with love, right. somebody's going to hear and something is going to happen that's going to make them realize, wow, is this true? Then they're going to start researching what it is that you're saying. Because the first thing that we have to realize is, you know, we've been oppressed for over 400 years. Right. We can't expect people to wake up when we wake up. Okay. Everyone is not going to wake up at the same time, but it's still our duty to share that love. It's still our duty to let them know that we love them and that we're going to keep them in our thoughts. We have to show them by our example. We can't keep saying, you know, this is a problem, this is a problem. Okay, well, give me a solution. Don't right. tell me a problem without giving me a solution. You're telling me that our high, there are high crime rates? Okay, why are there high crime rates? They're high crime rates because we're not educated. We don't have we don't have businesses. We don't have means of supporting ourselves. Our men have been put in jail for the minimum thing, and they're serving long-term sentences. Those are areas where New African also is going in, and we're going to change that. We're, we have we have a department within New Africa, whereas. We will reach out to our sisters and brothers who are in jail and also those who are at risk for being incarcerated. We're going to teach them. First of all, they have to be willing to learn. We're going to teach them who they are, how to eat, how to live, and then they're also going to be required to give back to somebody else who was just like them. Now, if we can save just one person thought that they had no other weight because they didn't know how to read, who thought that they had no other weight because their mother or father was drug addicted, if we can teach them how to become 
an entrepreneur and be able to provide for them for their family as well as the people within their family get them where they are, give them the education that they need, whatever it is, give them that financial support, teach them how to become entrepreneurs, help them get back into school, or teach them the trades and skills that we collectively have so that they can become a parent and a family who can sustain each other. They will begin to open their eyes. And if they see someone else that they know who was in that situation or was in a worse situation, their eyes are open. So we have to be solutions first. Once we provide those solutions, they'll open their eyes. It seems seems that the only time we come together uh, as a people today when there's a police shooting, I was just talking about that at the beginning of the show. When there's a police shooting, it seems like everybody come out of the woodwork for a couple of weeks that demonstrate, and it seems like for one week we are singing the same song, uh, saying the same message. But how can we continue that uh, momentum? Anyone can answer that, either you, Brother Wise, or you, Mr. Sartre. Well, again, it starts individually. It starts with us taking a step to um, to be out, not to speak about it, but to literally be out and help where we are in our community, if that's helping feeding the homeless, if that's helping um, train someone on a computer, if that's helping giving someone clothes, Clothing so that they can go get a job, if that's helping write up a resume. But we have to do something first of being a solution. But we also have to learn that the things that we're seeing, it's all for another purpose. A lot of the stuff they're they're putting out there to push you away from reuniting, from becoming one. And what I'm seeing from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the North to the South, I am seeing that we, as a people, are really doing our part. We are coming together. We are building. We are, we're not. I mean, that's what they show you. That's what you see. But we are doing things. We are going out, and we're teaching these kids. We're teaching these parents. You know, we're, we're sharing our skills. You know, and like I said, that's from all over. There are many communities that are doing the exact same thing. You know, there are many people who, there are many organizations who are coming together to make a difference. But the thing is, is that we don't own the media. So you're not seeing those stories as much. And as far as how do we, as a people, keep the momentum going to make sure that the things that we're doing on a daily basis is seen versus all the cop killing and all the um, people who are protesting with that. We have to right. realize they always want to put us out to where we're not being productive, and this is what we do. This is how we do it. 
we have to just stay steadfast in what it is that we do. We have to make sure that we're consistently living what we're speaking. We have to make sure that we're reaching back to pull up that sister brother that's fallen. We have to make sure that we're not just saying, don't do this, don't do that, or that's not good, you know. But we have to literally get out there and work our neighborhood, you know. Um, at one time, at one time, the brothers would not come in certain neighborhoods and act out because they knew that there was an elder that was there and that elder demanded respect and that elder meant he or she was going to get respect, you know. So we have to start first with self, and we have to get together with wherever we are, with whomever is doing whatever to make a difference. Once they begin to see that we're consistently doing whatever it is that we're doing and we're helping others who are doing positive things, it will change. But we have to speak up and we have to let them know, hey, that's not acceptable. You know, but if you don't tell it to them, because a lot of them need love. Most of them need love. Most of us don't know what love is and how to receive it nor how to give it. So once we give them love and show them that we love them, then it will be a difference. But we have we have to we have to do our part. We have to be concerned. Um. So, Mr. Sante, how long have your organization been doing this? Well, we are a brand new organization. Mm-hmm. We are actually in the paperwork stage. Um, before this month is out, we will actually incorporate with the B Corporation, so that okay. we can have so that we can have both the nonprofit status and those qualifications and benefits, as well as have a for-profit status because we don't want no one to tell us that we can't do this or we can't do that. So right. we're brand new, but our our momentum is great. Um, October, the month of October, from October 21st through the 26th, if I'm not mistaken, we are meeting in Georgia um, about by the father of um, New African House, Brother Love Power. Um, And at that time, Brother David, he will be documenting our process via film. So all of our steps that we're doing, we will have that as a documentary to to let others know that this can be done and the steps to go through to do it. You know, in the beginning, it's always going to, Hour, you're going to have some people that you think they're conscious and they're a part of it and this is what they want to do, but in reality, they're trying to stop that process. So once we put this together, once we break ground on that first property in South Carolina and Georgia, we will have it listed out. What we did from the very beginning, which was actually March 1st, from the beginning of that time up until the time that we break ground. And we're looking to break ground for the first of the year, but we're actually pushing for the end of this year. If things wow. 
we will we will break ground early. And what we'll have is in Georgia we'll have a, tra- a transition housing, whereas those that say that they want to be a part of our community, they will come there and they will get trained on different areas, and we will live together to see the personalities and, you know, to teach what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, how to communicate, how not to communicate, and to build them up, you know, to know who they are and um, what it is that they want. So we're going to meet everybody where they are as an individual. We, We don't care that, you know, right now they're wearing their hair blonde. We don't care that right now, you know, they're trying to be a size one to a size zero. We don't care about none of that. What we care is that they're melanated people and they want to change. Once they become a part of the community, we will them, you know, who they are, what they've missed, what we don't know. And we're going to start from every area, from their education to their finances, you know, every area to make sure that whatever goals they have, you know, whether they realize their goals or not compared to whether David or Brother Love Power, Sister Rivers, you know, the people, um, the mother, when they realize what those goals are, they're going to sit down and um, figure out exactly what will be the best method to help them get to wherever it is that they need to get to to be productive, and to live a better life. Brother Wise, you still there? Brother Wise. Uh, yes. I, I, I see that you have a weekly TV news report show called yes. Wrap Up. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit, what that is? I know not changed uh, the direction. But no, basically that was one of the things that attracted me to, to New Africa because of the fact um, one day, my son asked me, you know, he said breakfast, he went to school, and he asked me, he's 16 years old now, and he said, why do does everybody that looks like me always in trouble? And I said, well, they're mm-hmm. not. He said, well, when I looked on TV, we're always being arrested. Or, you know, and I'm just coming from a 12-year-old, and I said, wait a minute, you know, well, and how do you explain to a 12-year-old what, what you see, son? Is, that's not real. See, that that's the media, and that's, the, you know, and I said, you know, hmm. So, you know, I thought about it, and I started trying to give a more positive, you know, look at this, look at this picture, and look at this, you know, tell my this son, okay, this is, you know, who's 18 at the time, you know, but, of course, he had been in the, in the regular regular school system, and that, that's how they would have, that was our history. They would have showed us in school. So he was a little harder to, to kind of teach. But what I said was, you know, my kids watch the media. They watch TV, and there's an old saying that he who controls the flow of knowledge controls the world. So I said, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm going right. to do is I'm going to take the same thing that they've been doing to us, and I'm going to, you know, do it for us. So we got to, I got together with some friends, and we have, we've um, been in the film and entertainment business for a while. That was another background I had before I got into psychology. And I said, we're going to make a new show, but it's going to be about the positive things our people are doing, and it's going to be by, from our people. Now, there's been black newscasters and anchors, but a lot of times they're toting the company line because they need that job. You know, and I've seen how even there was a young man out here a few months ago who had done, so he saved somebody from drowning, but the way they portrayed him, you would have thought he was the one that pushed the guy in the water. You know, and I said, wait a minute. So 
I said, this is something where we can actually disperse it, you know, not just nationwide, but worldwide. We've got a couple of IP networks, which are online, and a couple of traditional networks that are going to be uh, starting back in Washington, D.C., and one in Atlanta that are going to carry the content. So it's, um, like I said, it's a positive newscast of what we're doing from our people, for our people. Um, you brought in something that's, that's uh, very, very uh, uh, important. It's the stereotypes on the media. And, uh, and in fact, <laughs> I got to even carry it a little further. The stereotypes in hip-hop. Uh, uh, uh-huh. You got to act a certain way. You got to always carry a piece. Uh, uh, have your uh, uh, pants hanging off your behind and your hat tilted to the right. You know, there are certain stereotypes in the media that people actually believe. Even ourselves. I mean, like, if we're not that, we're not who we're supposed to be. How can we combat uh, uh, those uh, stereotypes, those negative stereotypes about us? Especially black men. And I really want to focus okay. on the black man right now, okay? Okay. Especially the black so- man. All we do is deal drugs, have, have all these baby mamas. Uh, 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 go to prison. Like, if you don't have a prison record, like, you don't have any credibility in the community. So, what, how can we combat that? So, you know, there was a quote by Harry Tubman. She said, um, she was credited with freeing a thousand slaves. And she said, I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. And I looked uh-huh. at that, that quote, and she said, so long ago, long ago. And that's what we, we're dealing with right now. A lot of times in the media, once again, we're shown this is what you are, this is what it is. But we look at statistics, there are more Caucasian people on the social services and on the welfare than, than our people. But that's not what you see in the media. Um, Todd Shaw, which is his um, rapping name is too short, he said mm-hmm. when he was rapping about things that were positive and uplifting, he was selling tapes out of his trunk of his car. But the minute right. he started rapping about guns and drugs and everything, he said he had a record label and he was in a big house. He said, so it wasn't him. He said it was the powers that be who wanted to perpetuate that. He said, so don't blame me. But, I mean, he takes some responsibility because he perpetuated the stereotype. But he did that, like I said, because he saw this is my way out. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of these rappers now feel, okay, this is what my record label wants to hear. If this is what's going to get me money, this is what I'm going to do regardless of how detrimental it is to a people. So what happens is we see these kids with the pants hanging down, and I told my boys, I said, you you know, you do that. We're going to have a problem. So don't, I told my girls, don't bring nobody in this house with that kind of mindset. So by, I think, establishing the rules that this is what I expect, their friends might be doing it when they walk out to the street, but when they get to our house, they know Mr. Watts, Mr. Watts, they're not going for that. So they change it because they know it's not acceptable. The problem is we have so many different families where that is acceptable. Okay, I won't do it in your house, but I can do it across the street. So now if that sure. person across the street said that's not acceptable, now you can't do it in either place, well, it becomes, okay, where can I do it? Forget it. I'm just going to keep my hands up. And so when we start to collectively come together and say this is not something we'll tolerate, the dynamic will change. But the problem is we have tolerated this for so long. And as Sonny said, it's been 400 years of oppression. How do you then start to wake people up and go, you need to change, when this has been so ingrained into us, telling us. And, I mean, not just that, but the effeminization of the black male. I've seen so much stuff where Kanye West is wearing, is that a dress he's promoting? 
wait a minute, all this stuff, you know, because they want the black male to have these more feminine qualities, where does it stop? You know? I know. But I think it stops with us being able to say, this is not acceptable. You going to jail is not acceptable. So your street cred doesn't get you anything when you get out and you can't get a job and you can't vote. You know, and understanding that it's a system that they're trying to be put in, not just a penal system, but a system to disenfranchise them and get them to where they are no longer susceptible and acceptable and successful members of a society. So that's, once again, like Sister Shani said, getting them back into our community and saying, even though they may have ostracized you from that society, you are welcome here. How can we, how can we as black men, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Sante. I'm not, I don't mean to be disrespectful to our sisters and everything, but there is a part of our community with us. And I just want to, you know, have a, a, a dialogue about building, of course, which we have to have respect from our children and our women. The only way we get respect from our children and our women is that we got to come correct. We have to be positive. Uh Talk about talk about being positive. Uh, uh, the brothers on the street corner, making that money, uh, 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 being self-destructive. Um, how can we? How can myself? For one, how can myself try to change that mindset? Of uh, it's a thick, it's a thick one. I gotta remember they they got a pocket full of money and they feel powerful and, and, and they feel invisible. But how can we? You know, huh? How can we? You know, uh, 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 try to break through that mindset. Try to break through that negativity. And it's so deep rooted. It's so deep rooted. It's so deep What is, but and what happens is when we look at it, we've got to look at what's the core. What's the core? So we look at the super ego and we things of that nature. What is when a person wants the money? Is it the money, the tan, the tangible paper in their pocket? It's not that that they strive, but it's that that gives them the options, that gives them the status, that gets them to where they believe they are power and they are respected. That's what the money, what the money does. So if you were to take away that and say, okay, the money no longer has any value, it doesn't get you anything, then that pursuit is something they will not pursue. You know, if you were to say, if you have a 1,000 chickens and a 1,000 sheep, now you're powerful. And if that was the status quo and that was what the this, this society was advocating, you'd have brothers walking on here with farms. You know, so I think when we look at it, we've got to say, okay, what, what is, ultimately, what is it that you want? You want respect Okay, from your peers, you want respect from society, respect from your family, and this is a way that you are a way that you feel you can empower yourself and get the respect. So you deal the drugs, you get the money, now I can buy the cars, I can buy the houses, now you respect me. But if we were to say, I'm going to respect and I'm going to love you outside of that, and we put that into play, the money no longer has any power over us. Mm. But the problem, once again, is coming together and saying, we need to look at what the catalyst and what the what the ultimate what the person wants, you know. And I've never heard a brother say, "I just like the money because I like seeing pictures of dead white men in my pocket." You know, they might say that in slang, but ultimately, you want what that money represents, and that's options, and that's respect, and that's power, you know. But if you can say, "Brother, you are powerful. You are respected. We love you because you can do so much more than you were told." Well, now you take away the power that that money implies, and you begin to open their mindset toward other things that they can do. 
But like I said, it True. starts with one. You know, it starts with one. It starts with really with somebody they respect. So that's why, you know, they would um they would always go to the, the tribal leader in Africa and they would deal with him. And then that, that respect, once they had the tribal leader's submission, then that respect that he had trickled down and was transferred to, to the white man. We need to go back and change that. So we need to go, okay, who's the person who's in charge? Who's the person who's trouble? You get their mindset, that will trickle down from the, to the man and the family. That will trickle down to the guy on the corner to say whoever it is, his crew, whatever it is, man, we got to listen to this. It will trickle down and brothers will start to change. But you got to go after the person who's in, in charge. I mean, even in warfare, I was a recruiter assistant Marine Corps. The first thing they mm-hmm. taught us was you take out leadership, you take out communications first so they can't talk to each other, then you take out leadership. He said, mm-hmm. and then they'll be in disarray and you can conquer them. And that's just what they've done on a social you know, platform to us now. We just have to understand that this is a type of warfare and we need to be able to adapt, you know, adequately. Wow. So... You just said that we are at war. Or do you see? Do you compare this to war? It I've is, been saying it is that for years. Of, I've been saying that for yeah. years that people look at me like I'm crazy. Can you explain that in a little bit of detail? Why you feel that we are at war, and who well, to whom, or we are war with? Well, okay, there was a, you know, I was thinking people heard it before, the Willow Lynch Manifesto, and it was basically it was a book that taught slave owners how to be more effective slave owners and to really break the psychological mindset of the slave so that mm-hmm. you no longer had to break them. They would break themselves. And I see the parts of that manifesto being utilized even today. They just change the dynamic. You can't openly whip a black man, but you can mentally whip him. You know, right. and when I say we're at war, I'm not saying, you know, we need to get, you know, in fatigues and we need to go off and we need to fight every white person. No. Right. We are right. we literally are a people within an occupied territory. So what happens right. is we have to be smarter. We have to say, okay, and once again, not being emotion, you know, let our emotions drive us. But after 400 years of oppression and slavery, you want to be emotional. Of course, I get that. But you need to think clearly and calmly and say, okay, what is it that I want? Once you identify your goal, what is it that's stopping me? Now, you identify that. What are the tools, resources that I need or I have or I can get to get to that goal? You set your plan in place. You get your soldiers, and you say, this is what we need to do. But, yes, we are at war because of the fact that we have a system that is designed to keep us down. Here's a song that I was just singing, matter of fact, a month ago. I love the beat, and it was uh, by uh-huh. P. Diddy, More Money, More Problems. And I'm singing, I said, yes. wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm singing that if I get more money, I'm going to have more problems. So I'm subconsciously, what am I telling myself? Well, I don't want more money. Oh, no, because more problems come with it. I said I had to move that from my playlist. I said, wait a minute. I'm subconsciously telling myself, no, I need that with that money because it gives me options to free right. my family and my people. So until that changes the dynamic, I, I can't speak that. And I'm a firm believer that what you think about, you bring about. So I need to also be aware that the things I am speaking, rather to myself, to my family, or to another brother or sister, needs to be uplifting and powerful because I need to make sure they know that you can do this and there's nothing that can hold you back. And by freeing the mind, that's the first step in overcoming and fighting the war because the war first is within ourselves. And once we get that conquered, then we can fight the one that's without. Uh, Brother Watts, I live in exchange Riddle community. I mean, every other block is gang members. 
Fat Fat Plus, and I mean young brothers are like from the mid thirties all the way down to twelve years old. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. they had they dressing their kids in gang colors. Mm-hmm. Okay, you say, how can I? I mean, it's so entrenched in my community where the elders are afraid to hold events or go out at night. What can I do? What can we do in this town to combat the gang issue? And that's the last question, and both of y'all can tackle that. Using your philosophy, using your philosophy through African community, new African community. If if I could, uh, I'll just answer, and then I know Sister Shante brings some wisdom to it. Um, one of the things that, when we look at it, the gangs lost track of why they were started. Back mm-hmm. when the Bloods and Crips were started in Los Angeles, they were started for the protection of the neighborhood because they felt that yeah. their families were being disrespected by other people that were coming into the neighborhood. And so, but then, of course, when you brought the uh, crack and the other things, the dynamic changed. As it spread, they, their whole thing was about becoming a gang for the distribution of this narcotic. But initially, the gang was just about protecting the community. So they were trying to do what I guess was initially a noble gesture in some sense, but then it changed once you brought in the dynamic of drugs and money. So when we look at that, nowadays, of course, the elders, and I remember this Tuki, I think the gentleman that actually got lethal injection, wrote a book and he said he wished he had known earlier about what he was doing, how it was hurting his people. He would have changed it. So a lot of times you get these gang members who are in their 30s and 40s who don't understand when they get, if they make it to, you know, get out the gang or retire or whatever, then they realize, man, I could have changed. And, I, you know, they say there's no fool like an old fool. I've seen some people that are in their 50s and 60s and just as ignorant, and I've seen some brothers in their 20s who are conscious. Yeah. But the key yeah. is identifying the ones who you can see a sense of, this is, but there might be something here we can have, and you change that one, and then you, you bring him out, or you allow him, if he has the pull within the gang, to start to educate the other brothers. Okay. Um, Matty Johnson, when he was building this, the uh, movie theater in L.A., he went to Sony, and they said, we're not going to build in Compton, you crazy. They just burned it down. And he said, look, he went to the gangs and provided, paid them to provide protection. He said not one nail, not one piece of equipment was stolen because he empowered them. They said, you're not just coming to the community and pull from us. You're going to empower us. So sometimes you might have to go back to them and say, look, this involves you. Mr. Sante, would you like to tackle that question? Yep. I definitely agree with Brother David on that. Um, it's all with us. We have to, we have to literally, somebody has to go to those individuals who are approachable. And we have to have dialect with them. We have to get them involved in whatever it is that we need. The uh, They need to get back to knowing that they're there to protect our families, our elders, our children. And when they begin to have that dialogue with us, within the community, things will change. Just recently, um, from the month of March to June, I think, I was in Houston working. And me, when I go somewhere, I want to go where there's other melanated people. I like to go in the hood because I can talk to anybody 
I can talk to the person that the other person is scared to have dialect with. I can laugh with them. I can build with them. So the first thing that I did was I watched the surroundings. And as I'm sitting there, um, because my family was also, um, they, they didn't have no games, but they were in, they were high drug dealers um, back in the 70s, the 80s, the 60s um, right. in New Orleans. So I'm sitting there on the porch, and I'm watching. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm telling my cousin, I'm like, these people are ignorant. I know where every stash is. You know, wow. I literally can sell. I can sell every drug that they have. I know what they're doing, and it's just wide open. I, and I told her, I said, then there was the other guy. <clears throat> He's howling from one end of the corner to the other end about how much the eight ball is. Did the guy want the eight ball? And I'm saying, where do they do that at? So. There was a couple of the guys, one of them in particular, they were, they were wearing their hands me. down. Okay. Excuse and, me. Can I, yeah. can I interrupt? We have yeah, two minutes back. and 55 seconds left to okay. the show. But All it's right. fascinating. And, uh, Kenneth, uh, could you wrap up really quickly and get you their information? Okay, okay. Um uh, well, you heard the engineer, uh, Brother Wise, uh, Mr. Sante, I thank you for coming on the show, and, and I'm going to stay in regular communication because uh, 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 Darlene is in, I mean, Ife is in Atlanta. I'm in Jersey, and we really need your assistance, especially my neighborhood. I just explained to you my neighborhood, what it's all about. So I thank you, and uh, folks, and uh, Brother Wise, and, and Mr. Sante, Continue the new uh, the work with new African community, folks. I thank you for listening for Black Urban America. Remember, I am because we are. We are because I am. I'm out. Thank you. Thank you.